Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Cotton Story podcast. I'm Ray Daniels, North American Sustainability Manager at BASF Agricultural Solutions and the program lead for the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program and host of today's podcast. And as always, I'm joined by my intrepid and fearless co-host, Bob Anishak, who's a partner with the Gertsey Textile Organization. Hey, Bob, how's it going? Oh, Ray, it's goes great. Thanks for asking. Uh, how are things with you today? Doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's almost summer. The weather is fantastic and uh, cotton planting is well underway uh, across the entire cotton belt. It's also that time of year when many people are getting ready to head out of town for summer vacation and enjoy some uh, various outdoor recreational activities. And uh, it's in that vein today that, um, you know, we because we like to spend so much time outdoors, whether it be farming and, or appreciating nature, it's exciting to have uh, today's guest, uh, introduce today's guest, uh, Brent Rudolph and Josh Mikna with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Brent is the Director of Sustainability Partnerships for uh, Pheasants Forever, and Josh is a Precision Ag and Conservation Specialist with the organization. Brent and Josh, it's great to have you on today's program and hear about how Pheasants and Quail Forever are helping farmers incorporate biodiversity into their sustainability and environmental conservation efforts. So. Welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate being here. Um, always appreciate our conversations and uh, it'd be nice to kind of share um, some of our uh, insights and some of what we've been working on together with uh, the audience here. Yeah, thanks, Ray. It's, it's good to be here and good to get be able to reach out to everybody. Great. Well, we're glad you guys are here today. Well, Brent and Josh, um, Presence Forever and Quail Forever has been around and been working with farmers on conservation efforts for many years. But as many of our listeners are from the textile and apparel industries, uh, would you mind taking uh, talking a little bit about your background, the mission of the organization, and, and really how you came to work for the group? You bet, Ray. Uh, I'll jump in. I, um, as you noted, I'm the director of sustainability partnerships uh, with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, what that means is essentially, you know, we're a, we're a largely a hunter member-based organization. Uh, we do a lot of conservation work on the ground. And uh, the habitat that we work to get in place that'll benefit pheasants, quail, uh, pollinators, and other wildlife um, is a great benefiter of a variety of other environmental outcomes as well. Um, so as someone that works on sustainability partnerships, you know, we have a long history of organizations and people and companies that are real key in the outdoor and the hunting industry. Uh, but there's a lot of organizations, companies, industries out there that can benefit from our work to help achieve their sustainability outcomes. So I try and be a kind of a central point of contact um, for those kinds of opportunities. Work nationwide with the organization, but I'm in a home office in Southern Michigan uh, area and our headquarters is around Twin Cities area. Um, so just try and be a, a person that can make it a little bit easier to understand the connection between what we do and the variety of sustainability outcomes of a growing number of partners that we have. Um, and then Josh has been one of our newer team members working on a partnership with a variety of folks uh, in the panhandle of Texas with a strong emphasis on uh, cotton in that region. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm based out of Lubbock, Texas. Um, and before this job, um, Worked a lot on the farm, but also uh, I worked on tractors and smart parts. We did uh, Trimble Agriculture, uh, Surefire Fertilizer Products, and uh, Precision Planning. 
uh, any products like that. So basically anything with technology, I was working on that in cooperation with the tractors, mostly Case and John Deere, but so, you know, my, my background is all on the farm and love conservation running. So kind of a, kind of a perfect match here for me to get, get both in doing what I love. Thanks for that, Josh. Brett, nice to meet you guys. Um, really uh, interested in your backgrounds and what your organization's working towards. I know a lot of our listeners will be interested to know more about uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So I was wondering, I have a couple of questions. Where does your organization work around the U.S.? And how did the organization get involved with cotton and working directly with cotton growers? Sure. So the size and reach for private lands work is another thing that makes us unique. Um, we have a team of around 300 biologists that assist private landowners in 35 states and growing. Uh, our precision and conservation specialists are a small number in that organization. Uh, we do like to say that plant the best and conserve the rest. We use whatever data or technology a grower is already using or is interested in using to identify underperforming acres. Those lands where yields the lowest are a big drain on profits, you know, sustainability. And so they're not the best for growing a crop on, you know, maybe because they're out of reach for irrigation, you don't have enough water or the soil type is just really bad. Um, in other places, they might be vulnerable to erosion or experience heavy runoff whenever it actually does rain. So, you know, not from any fault from the grower, but just because the type of soil terrain where they're located, you know, might not be that suitable for growing crops in some areas. Anyways, those lands can be planted some kind of perennial cover, grasslands, uh, pollinators, anything that's going to help uh, or quail habitat and also other wildlife. You know, we don't, we don't discriminate against species at all. Yeah. So Josh has got a pretty unique, um, position to be able to help connect with growers where kind of where the rubber meets the road for them. You know, we, as a, as an organization, as you referenced, you know, we're trying to do something positive for pheasants, quail, and a whole wide variety of other wildlife, um, through those habitat improvements. Um, you know, we've impacted about 22 million acres, uh, habitat enhancement across the U S and Canada since our formation in 1982. Um, and, um, the precision ag conservation specialist program and the work they do is a little bit more of a, a newer and novel approach to try and understand how conservation can actually be a good business model as well. Um, folks may be familiar, uh, with us, uh, from kind of our chapter level, our local, you know, uh, organization and, and representation. We've got, uh, more than 700 local chapters across the nation. Um, and so folks, especially in some of those agricultural communities might be familiar with the banquets and other events, you know, trap shooting, skeet shooting events and, and, uh, getting youth outdoors efforts, um, hunter mentoring programs, you know, those are all aspects of what we do as a broader organization. Um, and it's another pretty unique approach that even though, um, you know, we're a large organization, 150,000 or so members nationwide. Those individual, excuse me, those individual chapters, when they raise funds, they have an opportunity to figure out how they want to put them to work through uh, some of those events. Um, 
and other initiatives. So we connect them to kind of state state and national relevance in conservation, but let them have a lot of um, involvement in deciding what they want to support, you know, locally at, at a chapter level. Um, but, you know, Josh's work, he gets a chance to represent us on the farm. We've seen a lot of cotton growers really be early adopters of this idea of plant the best and, and conserve the rest. You know, they want to run modern, efficient operations. They want to be good stewards of the land. You know, many of them do hunt pheasants, quail, or any other variety of wildlife where they did growing up. You know, certainly a lot of growers have less time for some of those pursuits than they would like. Uh, but it's a neat opportunity to potentially, uh, you know, have a have a chance to let them see some rebounding of some of those uh, wildlife populations out and around their operations, but uh, help them make sense out of how it can be a good financial decision for them as well. Well, thank you. Thank you uh, both for that overview. Um, Brent, something you said about the financial aspect to that. Let's elaborate a little bit more. How does Pheasants uh, uh, Forever and Quail Forever actually help the farmers improve the economics of their operation via conservation efforts? And also, can you provide us some examples of where your program has, has been working or where it's worked elsewhere? Yeah, you bet. Um, great question. Getting right down to the specifics that, you know, the conservation work that we do, the habitat that I mentioned we've provided over the years of our history, you know, those are supported by a lot of different programs. Um, so a lot of folks are probably familiar with the Farm Bill um, or NRCS offices, Natural Resources Conservation Service offices, um, maybe extension operations, you know, in the area that help uh, align folks with some of those various opportunities. Um, there are state agency programs that farm uh, operations can be eligible in some places. Um and many of your listeners may, might be aware, or maybe they're not, that there's a lot of other grants, foundations, and a growing number of corporations that are trying to help provide financial support, technical support, and other things, you know, for growers. You know, that can be a maze of different opportunities. So one of the key things we try and do is as an organization, again, that operates at a national level and has strong state organizations and, and uh, programming as well. We connect with all those resources. We have teams that are directly helping deliver farm bill programs. We have staff that are working on state programs where available. Uh, we're pursuing grants. We're pursuing partnerships, as I mentioned before, with foundations, even with private donors um, to bring those sources of support together. And so we do our best one from all those sources that are trying to support this work to match dollars uh, with other opportunities, you know, so want to pursue a grant, but hey, it's always competitive, even if you don't need a whole lot of matching funding to bring more to the table. So we try and find foundations and donors to do that. We try and show to foundations and donors that we have a great track record of securing grants and, and government funds to, to match their gifts as well. Um, but then the bottom line is we want to then translate that for a grower. So it's pretty easy for them to get in touch with us. We lay out what options are on the table. And then we try and find out what works, you know, best for them. And, um, you know, we work with a variety of different commodities uh, over time. But like I mentioned, cotton has been one of the early um, adopters. Um, and we've kind of pulled up a couple of different programs in a few different regions. And, you know, Josh is one of the most recent folks um, working with that um, to, to take all this stuff I'm rambling on about, about grants and foundations and other things and just make it make sense to growers. Right, Josh? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, when I'm working with a grower to uh, 
assess the profit, profit, profitability of their acres. Sorry. Um, I can help them by showing them the financial support provided by those conservation programs and how it's going to affect basically their bottom line. Uh, the precision ag tools are going to tell you what your return on your investment is going to, is going to be. And most of the time, most farmers, whenever they see how much you actually spend on the inputs associated with the acres you planted and, you know, compare it to the profits made from, from the yields, uh, most of the time they see the benefit of, Hey, you know, I'm not going to farm these bad acres and put more, you know, put more of my money towards the good acres and see a better return on, on it as a whole. Um, I can add to that by showing the completely different sources of income available through cost share rental rates or whatever incentive is provided by whichever conservation program that they want to work with. Um, you know, no matter what situation you're in or how you want to do it, there's almost always going to be some program that's going to benefit you, you know, one way or another. Um, you know, different conservation programs have different practices. They offer shorter, longer terms. And, you know, I'm just here to help the grower find which one's going to best suit them. Thank you guys for that. I mean, we've talked, uh, we've talked a little bit about the, um, economics aspect of sustainability let's shift gears and, and look at the environmental uh, environmental aspects and talk about the b word biodiversity uh what is the importance of biodiversity in a farm operation from a sustainability perspective so ray there's you know there's a lot of different benefits that can come with uh, protecting or improving biodiversity so there's different ways to kind of look at it let me Let's let's address it a little bit. See if we're getting at what you're uh, what you're interested in here. Um, if you look first of all with more diversity uh, on the ground, and so let's talk specific like native plants, insects, uh, increasing diversity of um, of their presence uh, on, on around an operation, you'll generally see um, one of the big things we like benefits for wildlife. Right? You know these native grasses, these insects. They provide cover. They provide food resources, um, they provide nesting habitat, you know, for a variety of wildlife. And uh, that uh, diversity of structure, of insects that can serve as food sources and so forth, are going to help meet the variety of needs that wildlife have through different seasons and different stages of life. So that's me as a biologist talking, you can see that any given critter has different needs that um, it has to address to fulfill its kind of full life cycle. And when you bring more variety, you're more likely to be able to provide um, what those critters need. You want to zero in on one in particular, you can have very prescriptive guidance, but in general, enhancing diversity is going to bring a variety of benefits uh, from that standpoint. So the other thing is, you know, diverse community of insects in particular will usually include beneficial species that can help control pest species. You know, there's a lot of obviously interest in, in around agriculture, whether you're talking about for plants or uh, livestock animals, um, that having that diversity of insects, you can often have what we would call biological control becomes a possibility. So um, again, it often has very specifics down to an individual operation. Uh, but there's a lot of good uh, research out there regarding the ability of kind of balancing out those pests with their natural predators uh, when you have a greater diversity of them available. Um, you know, we like to provide 
a wide variety of, of forbs, flowering plants, and other things that will benefit pollinators uh, that can be important for crops. You know, again, whether it's your farm plants or your gardens and other things around there, having a local um, healthy pollinator population provides a variety of benefits there. And all those forbs, one of the things folks like is that they, the best scenario is to have various flowers blooming around various times a year because they'll provide nectar and, and resources for insects through different seasons. Um, and that has a, obviously a very good aesthetic visual appeal, you know, instead of just having the um, uh, green, the general uh, backdrop, backdrop of green growing vegetation, you see a lot of different color, a lot of different variety in those forbs and flowers um, that bloom throughout different times of the year. Um, you know, beyond that, so that's kind of the biological aspects uh, but Ray, as you know, working in sustainability area, biodiversity is also something that's a, a increasing interest to a lot of uh, consumers, um, to a lot of companies. You know, a lot of folks are familiar with the boom and the interest in carbon credits and carbon markets and, and all those things that farmers have heard a lot about. Uh, a lot of that has been driven by companies trying to show they're having a positive impact uh, on carbon and climate. Uh, but one of the you know, evolving conversations is that uh, biodiversity is also impacted by a lot of business and industry operations. And so there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of consumers making choices about where to spend their dollars that want to see that they're um, providing some positive benefit for biodiversity as well. Um, so although at Pheasants Forever, we don't have yet, you know, a simple uh, opportunity for growers to look at how much in extra income they can get from carbon, check, you know, biodiversity, check, um, clean water, water quantity credits, check. Um, that's really the concept we're moving towards is to try and bring not only, like Josh said, a wider variety of conservation programs they can choose from for what fits their operation, but a wider variety of uh, credits, financial um, payments and other things that can help them um, receive compensation for those benefits that they're providing, uh, that we can line up those partners that have an interest in uh, helping to finance all that um, and maximize how many different sources of support we can bring in. That's awesome, Brad. Um, Josh, I guess I'll ask this question of you, because uh, this is a more of a cotton question. What are some ways that industry and conservation groups like yours, like your partnership with SF can work together. And also, how are your activities related to the sustainability efforts of our E3 farmers? Yeah, so that's a great question. First of all, one thing E3 sustainable cotton farmers commit to is growing cotton more efficiently in ways that minimize impacts on the environment. The conservation efforts I help growers consider if and how to practice in their operations is completely in line with that commitment. So that already addresses part of your other question as well. The growers in the BASF network already include farmers that understand the importance of sustainability. Second, any effort that has multiple partners is bound to have a broader reach than trying to go it alone. My work in the Texas Panhandle is supported by BASF and also by Cotton Incorporated and the United Sorghum Checkoff Program. Each of these collaborators, plus our team at Pheasants and Quail Forever, has a different group of employees and networks of contacts to growers 
and other companies that provide equipment and services to farmers. All of us getting the word out not only expands our reach, it also increases our credibility. A grower who is also a member of ours might put a lot of weight on what I have to say just because of the logo on my shirt, but a grower that isn't familiar with us will probably be more open to hear about how I can help them if they've been a long-term satisfied customer of BASF. Gotcha. Thank you for that, Josh. Um, for either you or Brent, um, I just want to say thanks for explaining the importance of uh, Business Forever and Quail Forever and uh, its mission to farmers and also your on-farm sustainability goals for laying out a lot. So, um, but here's a question more for the downstream portion of the industrial side of the cotton supply chain. Why should textile companies and apparel brands uh, care about efforts of groups like Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, in your opinion? It's um, a good question, Bob. I think, you know, I, I mentioned that lots of companies uh, or lots of consumers, you know, customers are interested in supporting um, carbon credits or biodiversity or other things. And, you know, I, I should make it clear, it's, there's nothing inherent in credit you know, for carbon or credit for biodiversity or other things that are driving that. In other words, nobody, nobody wants to just say, Hey, here's a receipt. You know, what I purchased generated X number of credits of carbon, X number of credits of biodiversity. And, you know, isn't that awesome? Um, you know, that's not the point. The point is the credit is a way to get at that broader interest, that broader concern. And it provides a verify. It's one way to provide a verifiable outcome. Um, you know, that the purchase you made uh, was of a product that had less of an impact on the environment than other products, you know, might have. Um, so, you know, if you want to support growers also, they're implementing those practices. You know, it could be, um, again, we try and find ways where it's not more expensive to implement it, but even taking the time to understand how to make a little bit of change, um, how to operate things a little differently, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with Josh as, uh, as pleasant and, and good of a guy as he is to spend time with, it still takes you time, right. To listen to what he has to say and to consider how to do it. Uh, so it's also important to recognize you can help support growers when you have these systems that are returning some, um, economics to their uh, time and process of implementing those new decisions. Um, so, you know, that, that's what we're trying to be able to put together is that a textile company or an apparel brand, um, has an opportunity to know the materials they chose for their product were grown in a way that minimizes impacts, uh, on the environment that benefits those, uh, producers that are taking the steps needed um, to have that kind of outcome. And then for us in particular, you know, we're a wildlife organization. So there's a lot of organizations out there that are trying to provide similar benefits for carbon, for water, and, and those are critical and they're important. They're valuable. Uh, we want to see all those things succeed. Uh, but we also take the step to be sure that there's wildlife benefits returned in the end, the way that we can generate those positive environmental outcomes is going to be a positive for wildlife as well. And in general, you know, whether you're a hunter, whether you're a landowner, whether you're someone that travels through and visits uh, some of the natural landscapes in and around where some of these farms operate, 
most folks are pretty happy when they have a chance to see wildlife out and about, and especially a, a more a more diverse, a wider variety of wildlife than they would have seen without those um, habitat efforts being put in place. And so we think we return a lot of value for folks that want to support anything, whether it's the environmental benefits, whether it's making it economically viable for growers to operate in a good environmentally responsible way, um, or whether it's, you know, our passion providing some great benefits for wildlife. Um, we try and find a way to make all those things kind of come together at once. Um, and uh, again, uh, Josh's role is trying to make it as simple and easy and much of a good, smart business decision for these growers as possible. So we hope there's a lot of folks that see some value in that and uh, want to help support the effort. Thanks for that, Brent. And speaking of value and people learning, wanting to learn more, get interested, uh, this question is for you, Josh. How can our listeners uh, get involved with the program? So for the collaboration we're working on in the Texas Panhandle, Growers that are interested in learning more or any partner that wants to host a workshop, a field day, any outreach events, uh, and any landowner that's interested in improving habitat, whether that be ranch land or farmland, can visit, uh, they can visit pheasantsforever.org and follow the conservation tab, and it will get them to the page to find the closest biologist to their, to their place, or also, uh, you can reach out to the closest local chapter that around you and they will have workshops, social events, or anything that uh, you'd need if you're interested in it. And then, Ray, you know, one of the things we kind of skipped over is that Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever at the national level are essentially kind of the same organization. Uh, but down at the local level, uh, you might have a Pheasants Forever chapter, a Quail Forever chapter, um, or both, depending on where you are. So quailforever.org is the uh, quail brand of our uh, uh, website. Um, and folks can check out details there. A lot of similar information, but there's some different stuff that'll be specific to pheasants or quail. Um, beyond that, you know, folks are um, with a company or a brand or another nonprofit um, that might want to partner with us or think, hey, we, we got programs that uh, it might help your team to know about and be able to help inform uh, growers about, they can uh, get in touch with me uh, about those broader kind of sustainability efforts. Uh, I can be reached at B Rudolph, B for Brent, my first name, Rudolph, R-U-D-O-L-P-H, at pheasantsforever.org. Um, anybody that wants to look at some uh, partnership opportunities with us, I'd be happy to uh, hear from them and and see what we might have uh, uh, in, in in common interests in being able to help get more positive outcomes uh, through these programs out on the ground. Great. Well, thank you both for that. Uh, we'll take that contact information and uh, put that in the show notes for our listeners so that they can reach out and should they have questions or want to get engaged. So Brent and Josh. Big thank you for joining us today. It was a great discussion, and I, I know our listeners take a lot from that. Also, Bob, want to thank you for co-hosting today's program. As always, it's a, it's a pleasure doing this with you. And finally, I'd also just like to say thank you to our listeners for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our, the, sh the show today. Should you have any questions about the E3 Cotton Program or would like to learn more about how to get involved with Pheasants and Quail Forever, you can also email me at e3cotton at basf.com. 
Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook uh, at our handle at E3SustainableCotton to learn about updates to this podcast or learn more about our initiatives with Pheasants and Quail Forever. And lastly, if this is your first time, if you're a first time listener, please be sure to follow us. Uh, and if you're a long time listener, please be uh, sure to share this podcast with a friend. Thank you all for joining us today. We'll see you next time.